Now it's time for Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf, the number one relationship advice radio show in the U.S. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf, and it is my pleasure to be with you again this week. So I have a question for you. Do you want to find out if your date will be a toxic mate? Well, you know, you don't have to be able to diagnose a narcissist in order to avoid getting involved with someone who will devalue you. My guest today has developed a very simple method that people can use to avoid getting sucked into a toxic relationship. And the beauty of her method is that you don't need to make complicated diagnoses or even decide if you're really dealing with a narcissist. You just have to objectively observe the behavior of the person in your life and be able to count. Anyone can use her method with almost anyone, from a new lover to a family member. My guest, Dr. Eleanor Greenberg. She's an internationally renowned psychologist, consultant, author, and gestalt therapy trainer who specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of borderline narcissistic and schizoid adaptations. She's on the faculty of the New York Institute for Gestalt Therapy and the Gestalt Center for Psychotherapy and Training, where she developed and teaches an eight-session course on personality disorders. Dr. Greenberg is also an associate editor of Gestalt Review, a peer-reviewed professional journal. She has trained psychotherapists in the USA, Canada, England, Wales, Sicily, Sweden, Norway, Mexico, Serbia, Croatia, Montenegro, Russia, and Malta. And Dr. Greenberg is also the author of the book, Borderline Narcissistic and Schizoid Adaptations, The Pursuit of Love, Admiration, and Safety, available on Amazon. So without further ado, welcome. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. And I'm very excited because I get to talk about two new things. I'm glad. And I mean, you know, I believe it or not, I found you by way of Quora because I saw you were writing on Quora and you have a beautiful following there. And I was really impressed because very few clinicians are able to distill complex theoretical material into very palatable and accessible information. And you do this in spades. So that's why I reached out to you because I know you're the queen of narcissism and so on. So, so, you know, what I was thinking is before we even jump into your wonderful techniques, how did you develop an interest in this particular area of psychology? Failure. And my first, that's how I developed an interest. I was trained as a Gestalt therapist The methods I used worked well with the type of people that were in my training groups. And then in my first year of practice, I had two or three people who had very atypical reactions to me, and I didn't understand what they were. And what they were doing was they're doing, they started out really, really enthusiastic. I was the best thing since sliced bread. No one had ever understood them so well. I was this wonderful, charming, warm, loving human being. They were sure they could be evolved with my help. Next thing you know, there's a knife being slammed in your back. (laughs) Exactly. And much to my surprise, some weeks later, the very same person, the first time it happened, I figured this is a fluke. And, you know, I see all sorts of people. I take all comers when you're a beginner and a new person. So one person switched from that 
to becoming deeply offended by something that I don't know what I said even. And she wouldn't tell me, but she ran screaming from the room, cursing me as an ineffectual therapist and a failure. And that I was totally unprofessional. And in fact, if she could, she'd stop the check. <laughs> and so that got <laughs> me started. So I said, line, well, right? I, I certainly missed that. But that probably is pretty rare. That's not going to happen again. You know, and then that it happened happens. again. <laughs> the third time it happened, I said, this is now my problem. I can either, I don't even know what to call what I'm seeing because I was trained in a way that did not diagnose. So the exactly. lack of diagnosing, just being with the client, staying present was what I was supposed to do. Diagnosing was pathology pathological and you were pathologizing people. And Absolutely. So I had no one to go to. And I finally went to a senior supervisor who I had paid on the side to help me. He was a brilliant woman, Dr. Elizabeth Mintz. And she said, Eleanor, I have really bad news for you. Sit down. So I go, Betsy, what could it be? She says, you're working with, you're, with personality disorders and you're going to have to study with the analysts. And that turned out to be true. It so is true. that got me started because we weren't diagnosing gestalt therapists at that time. I was very bold later on when I introduced diagnosing this stuff and other people supported that and had their own ideas. But that got me started because I felt it was my responsibility to understand what was going on. And it took me another 15 years. So you know, I, it's I just, so, and you went then to get psychoanalytic training. I did. What I first found was something that your listeners will be quite surprised because everybody is, and I was. Um, I don't know if you can hear that sound. Somebody just started doing something upstairs. Can't hear oh, it. That's wonderful. So what I found was, much to my surprise, there was no agreement in my field. There were different theorists with different styles, different approaches, different names. They called them character disorders, personality disorders. Masterson called them disorders of the self. Other people wanted to diagnose them by trauma. And I was very confused. So I went and I found classes in all of these different approaches. And I flew back and forth from New York to, I figured they'll know at Harvard. And that's how I learned. And finally, after about three years, I decided to study with Masterson, who was an object developmental self and object relations theorist. There, that's where you had to go, yeah. And he had the best. The reason I chose him is this will be a question that I think your listeners and uh, will be interested in, is I had one single question that was really paramount. What's the difference between a personality disorder and someone that just has a few traits and behaviors? Where does it end and begin? And that's the question I asked all these teachers. And the only ones that had a real beginning and end that actually appealed to me, and I could use it to work with my clients who I was seeing, and that wasn't just theoretical, was this concept of whole object relations and splitting. Right. Do we have time to define it briefly? Yes, we have three minutes in this segment, and, and it's very, very important that people understand the, the, the fractured object relations and how that connects to these personality disorders. Yes, what Masterson believed, and many other object relations theorists, was that when we're young ch children, 
and we're going through the terrible twos or some early time when it's very natural for kids to switch from loving and hating their parents back and forth, that eventually the kids, if they're treated fairly consistently with a lot of love and acceptance in the background and not too much and they can meet their parents' expectations occasionally, they begin to integrate that they have a good side, a bad side, and that, they're, that they could see both the good and bad traits while remaining attached to the same person. That was so well explained. It's so well explained. Because, you know, if you look at all the children's stories, the good witch and the bad witch, those stories are written for children who are so young that they haven't yet developed that complete whole object relation that I can love you even though I'm mad at you. I can hate you and still love you. And you're st I know you'll still be here for me and I can count on you. And uh, yeah. So let's let's just clarify one thing, because I know that, you know, a lot of therapists think you cannot cure someone with this kind of problem. And that's not true. That no, is that not is, true. That isn't true. Um, there's a lot of people doing very good work. And they were doing the work before I started the work. Now, the reason why people believe that is another awful thing about my field that people don't know is we are not required to learn how to do psychotherapy to practice as a therapist. I get licensed as a psychologist. I do my internship right. uh, before, I believe, I can't remember it's so long ago, whether it was before or after the license. And supposedly I'm going to apply the theories I learned with in my doctoral master's and undergrad, I have, an, I have a bachelor's, master's, master's and a doctorate in, yeah. in psychology, and none of them taught me how to do therapy. Nobody teaches you how. No, not. It, it's like you go to law school and then after you graduate, you learn how to practice law. So yeah. what I found was that there were training institutes. I was studying as a gestalt therapist and I studied for years. And that there were other training institutes that motivated people who really wanted to do good therapy and didn't have too many student loans to afford it. All right, it. let's take a break. Sure. And we'll be right back. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of terrestrial radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? If you served in the Marine Corps, by now you know about the contaminated water problem at Camp Lejeune. If you were stationed or worked at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you probably have a lot of questions. We have some answers. You could be entitled to compensation. Billions of dollars are being allocated to pay for damages to anyone stationed at Camp Lejeune during that time. Unfortunately, it appears that officials may have known the contaminated water problem existed and did little to protect their men. The Semper Fi Code was not honored. If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, 
Call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. Call 877-941-4731. That's 877-941-4731. Again, 877-941-4731. Imagine this is your money and someone wants to take it from you. Who is it? The IRS. Guess what? They want your money and they can take it, all of it if they want. So what do you do? You fight back by letting our team of experts work it out with the IRS so you can keep your money. Call right now and learn for free how we can help you put it back in your pocket. Five minutes of your time can save you thousands of dollars. So please call right now. Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. Call today and get the best price on your next flight, guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm talking with Dr. Eleanor Greenberg, and we're talking about how uh, therapists really, a lot of therapists are completely lost as to how to treat people who have borderline narcissistic and schizoid adaptations. So you learned, you you got advanced training beyond your doctorate. And you know, just as an aside, you know, when I was uh, working in an inpatient psychiatric hospital, they keep kept assigning me all the borderlines, all of them. You know, and my supervisor, one day when I, I was only in my master's at the time, I stepped out of the session, you know, after screaming and the raging and hating me and I'm the antichrist. And she just, I walk into the office and she just reaches into her drawer and hands me a bottle of liquor. And that's what she just, <laughs> and just plops it down and says, have a good night. I said, why is it I get, by coincidence, all the borderline? She said, oh, it's not a coincidence. We know you can work with them. Nobody else in our staff can. So there's a popular belief that only therapists are willing to who are willing to use their aggression can work with these kinds of patients. What do you think about that? Well, actually, that's very interesting. It's less so with borderline. I mean, people overdiagnose borderline. When I was a young, I'm 77. I I got my PhD. I got licensed as a psychologist in 1980. And I, the, here's, the, here's the thing. Until around 
there was Freud did not believe that his methods worked with narcissists. We had no other methods for a very long time. That's right, because he was working with interpretation and with people who are pre-verbal interpretation is an assault. It, it, it injures them. They can't metabolize that. So he had no way of working with these kinds of patients. He so didn't. people, they, in, anyone that would be in the narcissistic area was put in this um, gray area of, we don't know what to do with them. They're not psychotic. They're not neurotic. Uh, right. they, they, they don't work. So people stop bothering. And then Heinz Hart, um, some ego psychologists, I think it's Heinz Hartman, some other people, they got interested and redefined it. Then in 1971, around Heinz Kohut, I believe he was an Austrian psychiatrist, got the ball rolling and, and wrote this book in 71. And he identified three narcissistic transferences that we still use today. And then the object relations people started and they started developing their things. Heinz Kohut's work became the self-psychologist. Right. And then uh, the object relations. So it wasn't until 1971 that we had a therapy of any kind for narcissism period. So, so that we means... just help people understand, because when we say narcissism, for a lot of people, it's not just, oh, I look in the mirror and I think I'm so great. We're talking about something way beyond that. So I, could we okay, just, so... you know, it's the people who can't hold the love and the hate. So they get into a relationship, they're disappointed by you, and now they go off the rails. Also, if we're talking about narcissism versus borderline or schizoid personality disorder, we're talking about a marked significant, maybe total lack of emotional empathy. So we have someone that's splitting that can only see you as good or bad, right. who has hierarchical thinking. It's like there's a ladder going from hell to heaven, and there's only one rung, room for one person on a rung. And they, they're damned if they're going to go to hell if you excuse my language. So they're fighting to keep their position on the ladder and rise towards what they consider heaven, which is high status, everybody admiring you. You can't do anything wrong. You're recognized as special and unique. Right. Um, so this is this particular situation where somebody without emotional empathy, raised in a certain environment, with a certain temperament, adapted to their environment, and they lack um, they they have trouble with self-esteem regulation. The, the coin of the realm in their house was not love. The borderlines, it's about love and nurturing what they want. The solution to a borderlines problem is always going to be love and more nurturing. And some adults to take over the hard parts of life for me. The solution that the narcissistic household teaches is that high status people are winners, low status people are losers. The only path in life to getting what you want is to excel or be close to people who do excel. Yeah, close in a lot of times. Now, one of the things that's so confusing for people is, I mean, it's an overt narcissist is kind of easy to spot. And maybe we could talk about what those symptoms are, but then the covert narcissist is someone who often slips under a person's radar and you don't even realize how disturbed that individual is until you're down the line. 
So, well, I don't like the word covert. I use Masterson's word closet narcissistic, narcissistic disorder of the self because it can't be too confusing because malignant narcissists, three types of narcissists, exhibitionists, look at me, admire me, um, closet narcissists. Oh, I, I feel too insecure to be in the spotlight. I can't manage a grandiosity. So, um, I'm often a victim. I'm the victim. closet or covert and, narcissist plays a victim often, feels sorry for me, for me. The, but so can the malignant narcissist. Oh, malignant and too. Covert. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch gears. How much time do I have? You have in this segment another four minutes. Good. I'm going to switch gears because everybody will go crazy if they try and listen and figure out narcissistic diagnoses before they date. You'll be an old, old person. So I'm right. going to put that aside because all you have to know, basically, I'm going to give two exercises you can do that will solve the problem. Great. Okay. You don't have to study narcissism with me or anything like that. I came up with these because I had so many disappointed clients who did not want to be in a narcissistic relationship, had been abused or had heard of people being abused. And they didn't know how they were going to avoid it. So I invented two simple methods. One is counting negative comments. Pick Great. an hour with the person, any hour, and simply observe them, listen to them, don't interrupt them too much, let them be themselves, and then keep track of how many times they, they, they do any of these four things. Complain about anything. Two put down people or, uh, or things, put down the meal, put down the waiter, put down their last wife, put down their mother. It's, I don't care who, negative gossip. They want to tell you something about someone else that the other person would prefer not to be private. It's something nasty. You don't even know if it's true, but they're telling you, okay? And the other are, how many times do you hear expressions of dislike? Now, I think you're going to post something with maybe these some of these things. I'll on put it. this on your show page at Ask Dr. Love. I'll put this out there. Okay. So basically, now, you normal people do these things, but they don't do these things as continuously as often in an hour. T take somebody you like and count how many times they do it an hour, then take somebody who you're, you don't know why you're kind of like a little concerned about dating them. They seem wonderful. And then count. It's great. And then compare it. If you don't think you've got a fair sample, do it for a different hour on a different day. And what, what for you is the tipping point? How many negative comments in the hour? How many negative comments in the hour? I can go through an entire hour without making too many negative comments. So, but if I hear someone say more than two negative things or three or four or five, what's I would say, I would say by four, I would be really concerned that this person has a negative outlook and that being around people with such a negative outlook, whether they're a narcissist or not, is eventually they're going to be negative about me. I'm going right to be on. one of those four negative things that they say every hour or 12 negative things. I once counted with somebody and pretty much every 20 minutes, the person said something negative. So you, you don't know how many you're going to get, but once you're- But there's your, there's your red flag. And the, do you think that the um, all the negative and the complaining 
is um, like a way of purging the bad feelings that are inside them. So then they project it outward. It's like, I really don't feel good about myself. So I'm just going to externalize it and complain about other people to get yes. the pressure off uh, What myself. happens is um, that um, narcissists usually have an internal devaluing voice of their own. You know how we have these inner voices, they're supposed to praise us when we do well, they're supposed to shame us and guilt trip us when we do bad. The narcissist one is adopted, adapted to narcissistic standards, which are too high. Narcissists can never reach their own standard. They've just entered a marathon in childhood that has yep. no end. So as That's soon as it. you get one title and one award or one anything that you value, that's good for about 20 minutes, maybe a day. And by the next day, you need something new. So they're chasing like that. That's it's very, very true. And and oftentimes you were criticized growing up. So you've really internalized that critical parent's voice. I'm not good enough. I'm stupid. So the pressure is so horrible. It's like, you know, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more because this is- And wonderful. I'll add the other method that will Absolutely. go with this easily. Absolutely. We'll be back in a moment. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of terrestrial radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? If you served in the Marine Corps, by now you know about the contaminated water problem at Camp Lejeune. If you were stationed or worked at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you probably have a lot of questions. We have some answers. You could be entitled to compensation. Billions of dollars are being allocated to pay for damages to anyone stationed at Camp Lejeune during that time. Unfortunately, it appears that officials may have known the contaminated water problem existed and did little to protect their men. The Semper Fi Code was not honored. If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. Call 877-941-4731. That's 877-941-4731. Again, 877-941-4731. Imagine this is your money and someone wants to take it from you. Who is it? The IRS. Guess what? They want your money and they can take it, all of it if they want. So what do you do? You fight back by letting our team of experts work it out with the IRS so you can keep your money. Call right now and learn for free how we can help you put it back in your pocket. Five minutes of your time can save you thousands of dollars. So please call right now. Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call, because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. 
so you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. Call today and get the best price on your next flight, guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first class tickets. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf talking with Dr. Eleanor Greenberg about how to spot a narcissist or a borderline or a schizoid individual before you get really heartbroken, how to find out if your date will be a toxic mate. So you came up with this really very down-to-earth method that I love, count the number of negative statements. There's like four within an hour, start being very worried. And then you said you developed another method. I, I developed another method for me. I'm always looking to do therapy more efficiently. Now, I've been doing therapy since 1974, so I've had lots of time to look at what was inefficient, what was, and I realized something very interesting because I'm always seeing new clients. You know, when you do it that long, you've seen a lot of people, and now I have a lot of intakes and things. Once I had this specialty, there was always people. Well, I found I could diagnose what type of personality disorder they had from how they behaved in the first 10 minutes of their session. Their first session, 10 minutes was all it usually took because what I realized was we all get anxious unless we're a psychopath if we who don't usually show up in my office. Everyone gets anxious about going to a therapist for the first time. They're concerned. Will this person understand me? Will they be nice to me? Will they like me? Will I be able to get help from them? So you have concern. And your therapist may have a little concern themselves, but not to the same degree, especially not after 45 years of it. It's a little less concerning. It is in my first rodeo. So I listen to whatever they do, because whatever person does in the first 10 minutes is what they do to deal with their anxiety. Right that's on. the major defense. It's automatic. It's fallback. And so that's, that's what you're seeing that they do in session is what they're going to do on a date. It's so you don't have to be in session with them. You're right. on a first date. People are anxious about meeting the date, about how it's going to go. Listen to how they begin. Listen to the first 15 minutes. It may take you a while. Practice it with people other than your dates. Now, I'll tell you, I'll give you three different examples. These are real life examples. I had a first, I had a client that came in and he, um, he badly wanted me to like him, I think. Uh, for various reasons. I'd seen somebody else he knew, whatever. Well, he came in, he sat down, and he said this, and I'm practically quoting, I'm just changing a few details for privacy. I'm a god. 
I can do anything. I can make the lightning flash. I can change your life. And then very sadly, he said, after about 10 minutes of this, why can't anyone do it for me? Uh, So he started with grandiosity. He was not psychotic. He didn't believe he was God in the way in the old stories where I'm Napoleon and you put in a mental hospital. No, he actually was quite an amazing person. And he wasn't really, he was overstating a bit, but this was a very talented person. And he was really describing a deep disappointment, like a feeling of abandonment that I can be there and do for others, but nobody's there for me. Exactly. You picked up on something that I was picking up on and I didn't know how to think because he started with narcissistic grandiosity. This was tricky. And right. then he switched to borderline neediness right. and wanting to be taken care of all in 10 minutes. And right. all I knew was this is what he does first with people is he's grandiose. And then what he expects from people and where he's disappointed is he really wants to be taken care of like a little kid. Well, that's really true because often what will happen is, you know, a lot of times people with this kind of problem will demonstrate through their own actions what they want you to do for them, right? So they might start out being a caretaker, doing everything for you when really what they want is for you to take their example and give them what they're doing for you. So that that's interesting. This guy didn't do that. He didn't come in to take care of you. He came in and concealed through the grandiosity. Yes, he made himself comfortable by, what makes him comfortable is the state of grandiosity. The reason he uses it, he was a very complicated guy, but it's very simple, was he was not taken care of well as a child and he had abandonment trauma like borderlines do. So I don't even have to know, make a differential there. I'm seeing that first he leads with his grandiosity and specialness. That's what makes him comfortable. And then when he gets a little of that out of the way, he has an ask to be taken care of. There you go. And then you said there were two other things. Yeah. So, so here's a person, let's contrast him with someone who I believe has closet narcissistic disorder, what you're calling covert. I met a woman who looked perfectly normal, perfectly fine. She was taking money at a workshop that I was attending and I have no idea why she called me. I was still a young therapist and I didn't even know why she would even know of me. I was attending with other therapists, but she asked me if she could call me for an appointment. I said, sure. I gave her the appointment. Well, I'm waiting for her in my office, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Now I'm worried. This was before cell phones. That's how long ago I've been it was. And nobody would know because you don't look your age by any stretch. But anyway, go on. Well, thank you. Neither do you, as I mentioned. And I have no <laughs> idea how old you are, but you're very pretty. But you don't know how old I am, but I don't look my age. <laughs> yes, I'm pretty sure. So because you're too sophisticated to be that young. Yeah. You know too much, which yeah. is true. That's another way. Like I made a quick evaluation. So right. I'll have this woman. I'm worried about her now. Nothing crosses. I figure... My my office is easy to get to. It's near subways. It was near parking spaces. It was near two buses. So I have no idea what happened. She finally rings my door. I am so happy to see her. So I'm feeling warm, happy, and relieved. I open the door, and before I can say anything, she lambasts me. She says, this is awful of you. You are so unprofessional. Back to my first year. <laughs> I said, 
come in, sit down, relax. I'm so happy to see you. She says, no, I don't know if I can work with you. I say, what's the matter? I have literally no idea what's going on. She says, it's all your fault. I'm late. Uh, I I took the wrong train because you didn't give me accurate. You didn't give me good enough directions. I got off at the wrong stop. So forth. Very different first 10 minutes. She did not stay. Okay. First 10 minutes. What happens? She makes a big mistake, gets on the wrong train. My theory is she was anxious and she didn't pay enough attention when, when you're anxious. Sometimes you, she was rushing. First, she was worried about me what I would think of her, then to because that was painful to be worried about me and whether she was good enough, she found a way to blame me. So now in the first 10 minutes of what would have been her first session, but never really got done, was I find out that the way that she deals with her discomfort when she makes a mistake is to blame the other person, even if it makes no sense whatsoever. And she's going to yeah. stick to it a hundred percent and she's going to hold a grudge and she's right. going to leave. It's exactly. not like she's going to let go of it in five minutes. Exactly. That's a very different exactly. person. And I agree. And you know, I always say to patients, you really need to have one eyebrow raised till you have your first fight. Don't jump in with both feet till you see how that other person handles the first fight. Because if that person is, it's all your fault. And I'm, I walk on water. Oh boy. And that's the kind of patient that you had there. Too fragile to be able to admit, I was anxious. I missed my train. I have to blame you, right? And she, you you want to hear about a schizoid client. Uh, so we had two narcissists. Do we have a minute or? Yeah, no? well, we have, we have, um, you know, we have like 40 seconds. So if you start and we have to go to break, you'll continue. All right. Well. Okay. At that point, it was before COVID. I had a huge office in a beautiful brownstone. And I would ask everybody when they came in, I would tell them where I'm sitting. And there was, the, I'd say they could sit wherever they like and they could move pillows. There was a velvet sofa. It was done English library, wood paneling, four oh, to ceiling bookcases, really like that, 14 foot ceilings, oh, lots beautiful. of comfy chairs, lots of places to sit. They could do whatever they liked. So I'd say, you can sit where you like. You can move the chair to you comfortable. Where would you like to sit? And one man looked at me and he said, he laughed almost. He was very high functioning. He says, well, if you really want to know in the hallway as far from you as possible. <laughs> oh my God. Talk about a rage, a rage. Oh my God. So he wasn't, no, he wasn't angry. He but that's such a hostile thing to say. No, no. But it that's wasn't a, hostile. That's a mistake people make with schizoid people. Ah, he, because he was so afraid to get close to you. Absolutely. He, he, he used interpersonal distancing as Got one it. of his methods of keeping himself safe. So what Got I it. learned immediately was that most of my schizoid clients distancing from me is going to show up in the first 10 minutes in some weird right. fashion. Right. Because the initial reaction is if you think, oh, that's an act of aggression, but then no, he didn't want to be too close. The only way he could self-regulate was to be farther away. Yeah. And in my office, to, to keep it complete, when I got to know people and say, why did you choose the, the, the caddy corner seat near me? She'd say, oh, that's closest to the door. I found it. if I needed to leave, I could just run right out. And you wonderful. And, and you found it out through the question, which is wonderful. That's right. right. Let's take a break. We'll be back in a moment. 
Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of terrestrial radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? If you served in the Marine Corps, by now you know about the contaminated water problem at Camp Lejeune. If you were stationed or worked at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you probably have a lot of questions. We have some answers. You could be entitled to compensation. Billions of dollars are being allocated to pay for damages to anyone stationed at Camp Lejeune during that time. Unfortunately, it appears that officials may have known the contaminated water problem existed and did little to protect their men. The Semper Fi Code was not honored. If you or someone in your family has developed a serious illness, including various forms of cancer, call this Camp Lejeune legal support line right now. You can't turn back the clock and change what happened, but you can certainly call right now and learn your rights as a Marine. Here's the number. Call 877-941-4731. That's 877-941-4731. Again, 877-941-4731. Imagine, this is your money, and someone wants to take it from you. Who is it? The IRS. Guess what? They want your money, and they can take it, all of it if they want. So what do you do? You fight back by letting our team of experts work it out with the IRS so you can keep your money. Call right now and learn for free how we can help you put it back in your pocket. Five minutes of your time can save you thousands of dollars. So please call right now. Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call, because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. Call today and get the best price on your next flight, guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm talking to Dr. Eleanor Greenberg about how you can spot 
a person who's going to end up being toxic to you. How to find out if your date will be a toxic mate. We talked about borderline, narcissistic, and now schizoid adaptations. You know, what comes through for me when I uh, listen to you speak is how much you care for your patients. Because a lot of times people who have these kinds of personality disorders induce in the therapist very negative feelings. And you are able to hold your feelings in such a way that you don't want to kill the patient off. You know, you have an interest, you know, I'm interested in you and you don't put your ego into it. You know, if you have to insert your ego and it's like, well, you don't like me and I'm feeling personally rejected. You know, they say a therapist can't take a patient beyond where you've taken yourself. So, you know, if you're a very injured soul or an abandoned person who can't stand rejection, you can't work with a lot of these people. And I, I agree with you. I'm trying yeah. to delete something that just popped up on my screen. Sorry. Yeah, that's the beauty of modern technology. You know, why did you do that? You're not giving me your undivided attention, right? So, well, here's, here's right? an interesting thing. I'll give them another tip. Um, the only clients who ever quit therapy with me because I in, they got interrupted by my doorbell. Oh, yes. Office. Yes. So, and they got offended, deeply offended. At that time, I was living in a brownstone. No concierge, no way. If in a, in a neighborhood where if you if someone rang the bell, you just didn't let them in without seeing that they were That's right. there for a reason. And I, my family lived above, and I had to be careful. But I could do it really quickly, and UPS would ring the bell and or somebody and have me sign. And someone would be talking and the bell would ring unexpectedly because it was always unexpected. But if it was a narcissist in a session, I would find out within 10 minutes because when I got back, and usually in three minutes from getting up to get the package, this person would not get off it. They would say, and this happened to me many times, it's yes. not just three times or five times. It became diagnostic. I teach it to trainees. They would say, did you really have to answer the bell just when I was talking about something really meaningful? And I'd yeah. explain why. It was for both our safety. We just couldn't let someone in. And then they would go into, this happened so many times I could repeat it. They'd go into alternative ways that I could ring them in without answering the bell. And then after they got off that discussion, they would go, you have to promise me I will never be interrupted by you again. That's another feature of these personality disorders is the controlling, right? That That's they have, right. Problems, I, they you have to control the other person as a way of trying to manage their own emotional life. You really know a lot about this. I'm very oh, impressed. I mean, you oh, well, I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I have decades of postdoctoral psychoanalytic training. So, I mean, you know, you act, but you know, you're, you're, you're very, uh, you, you said that I was very practical, you know, and easy to understand, but so were you, you're coming in. So I'm very impressed. Oh, I'm so, well, um, we, I, I, we have a mutual um, connection. Let's put it that way, because we, we, we get it. You know, it's interesting this week I had a patient come to me and it was, she has, she was very abandoned as a child and had a fantasy that people would come and notice she was hiding you know, in her pain. And she repeats that over and over again, she, where she wants people to pursue her and pull her out of her abandonment pain. So she came this week. And when my doorbell rang, I opened the door and a contractor was standing there. He's all I saw. He came an hour and a half too early because I wanted him to come when our session was done. So I opened the door and I see him and he said, your patient is here. And I said, 
huh? I don't see her because she's hiding behind the door. Wow. She really wanted me to seek her out. And I said, where, where? And I said, there you are. So I bring her in and she was so upset. You should have told me that a contractor was going to be here. But what was so fascinating about this, because I knew this was an opportunity for her to have a corrective emotional experience with me. What, what would feel better for you? In the, what would feel better? And oh, in the future, if you have a contractor, text me. Let me know so I can choose not to come. So I had a contractor come this weekend. I texted her, would you like to not come and do it on the internet? She said, no, I want to come. So by me responding, right, to her wish to, you know, to have me be responsive to her, she came. So that's how we heal people. But obviously, we're not expecting people on a date to be giving these corrective emotional experiences and filling the gaps of what was missing in a first family, you know, as a, and a lot of times, I'm sure you've seen this, Eleanor, people who grew up in narcissistic families choose narcissists for partners, hoping to fix the partner the way they couldn't fix the parent. Yes, it's unconscious for the most part. Right. Uh, people, Harville Hendricks wrote a lot about of Imago yeah. relationship therapy, which I am not trained in, but I've studied. Harville has been on my show many times. We're okay. old friends. So the, the thing is, one of the tricks is because it's unconscious, as you said, we could give people your wonderful checklist of how to spot a narcissist and still they will override all the bells and whistles and say, oh, no, 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 I'm just imagining it or I can work it out with him. And they won't listen to the warnings. You know what I mean? Well, yes. Uh, I often, when I post them or when I, I put out a lot of free information, I decided uh, pre my, my book came out in 2016 and that was originally written for therapists. I wanted an easy training book that was fun to read. Yeah. Read. Well, it turned out to be very popular with non-therapists also. And um, I was, you know, do, I decided that the general public needed to, I wanted to put out free information. So I have over 3000 answers on Quora. They're incredible. You if you haven't seen what she has written on Quora, go there because I read it, even though, you know, I just respect how you're writing on the topic so much that I love to read what you write there. And you can find free YouTubes by me done yep. by other people in interviews, because as you will know from this interview, probably I'm not very techy. So I'll give I'll give a call out for schizoids out there. Try YouTube schizoid angst and look for the four interviews that two four I'm in four and two my daughter Karen Arluck who loves working with schizoids and other people is in it with me so I've been going around and 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 Dr. Love contacted me because I want I think this information should be put out in a useful simple way yes. for everyone and protect so have, people that's right I have a psychology today blog called understanding narcissism and I've put together a book that isn't out yet um, I'm deciding whether to go with a standard publisher or publish it myself will be called Understanding Narcissism from Dating to Mating and After. And that Good. book, the first book had my peer-reviewed articles in and handouts and things from when I was training. 
this one has the the average person's interest at heart the type yeah. of things that we're talking about today how do what is narcissism for people who want to take it a little further and actually understand narcissism better you can go to my psych most of the articles that are going to be in the new book are already on my psychology today blog called understanding narcissism that you can access. And I believe I have 80 articles up. Most are about narcissistic abuse, how not to get abused or how to understand it and get out of it. Some are about what is a narcissist. And I started putting the difference between schizoids and narcissists. Could your narcissistic mate really be schizoid? Because they see the same behavior, but it's for a different reason. Right, right. And it, but being on the receiving end of either of those adaptations really stinks either way. One of the greatest difficulties that I'm sure you see is people who, you know, when the, the bells and whistles start ringing, when you meet someone, it's like, oh, it's love at first sight. Your unconscious is really recognizing generally a parent, usually the parent you had trouble with. So it's very hard to back away from these kinds of people, these kinds of personality disorders, if it's what you grew up with, because there's such a compulsion to heal. You know, I really want to fix this wound I suffered as a kid. And so how do you help your patients to back away, even though the compulsion is to stay and try? How do you help well, them? Basically, it, I use other I use analogies. If you had a strawberry allergy, or if you had a shellfish allergy, you don't have to dislike shellfish, but you know that you're going to die if you eat it Good. or go to the hospital, and you know you're going to be sick if that strawberry looks beautiful. But you know yourself, you're going to burst out in strawberry. That's itself. great. That's so great, and it's, and it's going to get worse because allergies are progressive, right? Exactly. So I say, well, you don't have to dislike it. There's a, we do a lot of things every day. We, I avoid bun, I avoided bungee jumping when, when that was supposed to be a popular thing. There's all sorts of things we avoid because we're afraid of the result. Well, I, I am so sorry that we're coming to the end because I have enjoyed you from beginning to end. Really loved having you on the show. Well, thank you. I've loved being here and interacting with you and hearing your great comments and questions that are very, very on point. So I really appreciate that. I loved having you. And when your book comes out, let me know. You'll come on back. Thank you so much. All right. Take it easy. See you next time on Ask Dr. Love. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. Sign up for Dr. Jamie's newsletter at askdrlove.com and receive her meditation audio that will guide you to open your heart and chill out during these stressful times.